Well, Matthew chapter 14. Uh, Here we are, continuing through Matthew's gospel. A very familiar scene. Now, I have to be honest that every time I have the honor of preaching on this text, I get a little nervous. My hands get a little clammy. I get a little shiver down my spine because this was the text uh, that I preached the first time I ever preached in a congregation. And it brings back all sorts of terrible memories <laughs> from that first sermon in, in a congregation, in a worshiping community. Um, having been a novice preacher, you can imagine that I was really nervous. It's a familiar story, the walking on the water. And um, I prepared about eight note cards with, with notes on it. And I thought each card will take like two minutes. It'll be a 16-minute sermon. That's about the right length. And as I started preaching, I got through all eight note cards in four minutes. (laughs) And I did what what any inexperienced preacher would do. I started cycling through them again. (laughs) Again, just nervous and fiddling and fuddling around. And, and, and so this text just brings back all those jitters. But maybe it's appropriate. Look at the story. Look at the text. The, in the story, the disciples are in this boat and they had clammy hands. They had a shiver down their spine for the wind and the waves were against them. Now, some context about this scene. Matthew chapter 14 and the disciples getting onto the boat, um, it follows last week's gospel reading where Pastor Alex preached about the the multiplying of the loaves and the fish, the feeding of the 5,000. And if you remember, if you scrolled back in your Bible a couple of pages, if you flipped back, you would notice that before Jesus feeds the 5,000, he's exhausted, he's worn out. He's tired, and he was looking for a a period of rest. And yet, because he was Jesus, and he was a remarkable teacher, all of these droves of people had come out, and the crowd had gathered on the hillside, and so Jesus is not able to find the rest that he needs, and so he starts to teach, and then he feeds the crowds. And at the end of that, when the crowds finally go home, Jesus commands his disciples to get into the boat and to go to the other side of the lake. I find this a little bit humorous. Jesus doesn't ask the disciples. He doesn't say, would you guys like to get in the boat and go to the other side? Would you please? No. He is like a parent at bedtime. He is not saying, would you like to go to bed? He's saying, go to bed. Get in the boat. Go to the other side. And the disciples say, okay, okay, Jesus. They get in the boat and they start to go to the other side. And Jesus retreats up a little bit further up the mountain to pray, to have one-on-one time with God, to connect, to rest. Now, one thing that I find really interesting, my, my eyes were sort of opened up in a new way this last January when I traveled to the Holy Land, um, to Israel. And we were at the Sea of Galilee, and we were at the Mount of Beatitudes, where it's believed Jesus, um, Jesus broke, um, broke bread, fed the disciples, uh, a beautiful location right there on the Sea of Galilee. And our tour guide, after explaining the, the, the loaves and the fish, he invited us up a little bit further up the mountain, and all at once he had us turn around. And he said, what do you see? 
Well, clearly it was the Sea of Galilee right there below. And he said, have you ever considered that while Jesus sent the disciples into the boat onto the sea and the wind was against them and the waves were crashing, Jesus had a view of it the whole time. I think that's really interesting. Because in our reading today, in Matthew 14, we're told that as Jesus went up the mountain, had time to rest, had time to pray, had time to connect, while it was still evening, The waves were picking up and the wind was blowing. In other words, the disciples were in distress the entire night and Jesus had a view of it. What's going on here? Why wouldn't Jesus go down immediately? We're told in Matthew 14 that it wasn't until early in the morning in the King James Version of the Bible, if any of you read the King James Version, it says that this was the fourth watch of the night. 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. So there are the disciples, commanded by Jesus to go out onto the water while he goes to rest and pray. And immediately, as soon as Jesus has this restful time, the disciples are in distress. And from his vantage point on the mountain, he can see it all. Maybe, just maybe, Jesus understood that the disciples would learn a powerful lesson through the storm. None of us in life welcome storms. We avoid them at all costs. And yet, how many of us can testify to a moment in our lives, to a season in our life, when the winds came and the waves were crashing into our boat, and how through that, we grew. Storms have a powerful way in our life of growing us spiritually, emotionally, mentally. No one is prepared for a loved one to come home from the oncologist with the news that the cancer is out of remission and spreading again. No one is prepared to lose a spouse well before you expect your beloved to die. Storms, storms come in every season of our life. We don't welcome them, we don't want them, and yet when we press through the wind, through the waves, we all can testify to the fact that because of the storm, we are stronger, more resilient. Storms do and can break our hearts, but they can also strengthen us. One thing that I find really interesting here is that all through Matthew's gospel, we have all these little tidbits of the disciples And what do disciples love to do? Bicker. They love to argue. The disciples of Jesus were a motley crew that came from different walks of life. You had tax collectors that represented the empire, wealth, prestige. You had fishermen that represented day day laborers. You, You had... You had educated and uneducated. You had young boys and a little bit older 
men all together. And what we see throughout Matthew's gospel in particular is that these disciples like to argue. I'm going to sit at his left-hand side. Well, I'm going to sit at his right-hand side. These disciples even love to argue with Jesus. Think about Peter on top of Mount Tabor, the Mount of Transfiguration. Um, Jesus, Peter's saying, it's good for us to stay here, Lord. We need to stay right here. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. And Peter's over there, just, ah, Jesus, you don't get it. The disciples were people like you and me, and they had thoughts and they had opinions. And sometimes those thoughts and opinions differed. What is a minor miracle about this story that's not even pointed out in the text is that in the midst of the storm, they're not arguing or bickering. Storms have a way of bringing us together. Storms can certainly divide us and separate us if we allow them to. But storms also have a powerful way in our life of, of uniting us in a common mission. All of a sudden, we're not against one another. We're for each other because we have to move through this together. I could tell you story after story of families that have gone through hardship or tragedy and they would never have welcomed it into their life. And yet, it was an opportunity to where the family grew closer together because they had to face it together. In 2009, I filled out an application for an amazing scholarship opportunity provided through the Sierra Club. The Sierra Club had given a multi-million dollar grant to Outward Bound, which is a wilderness excursion company. Outward Bound leads trips all over North America, all over the world, where you can pay large sums of money to go dog sledding through Alaska or rafting down the Colorado River in Utah. They have all sorts of mountaineering expeditions. Well, in the early 2000s, the Sierra Club, believing that healing happens in nature and seeing a growing epidemic of post-traumatic stress disorder, depression, anxiety among returning veterans from Iraq and Afghanistan provided this generous gift to create a program through Outward Bound where returning vets from Iraq and Afghanistan could go on an all-expenses-paid expedition. So at my reserve unit, we were encouraged to apply. Apply for one of these programs. We don't know if you'll get in, but, but do it. So I filled out my online application, and wouldn't you know it, I was selected. The joy <laughs> and the excitement of opening that email, and I was reading through it. In the application process, you could select which of the expeditions you wanted to do the most, but you didn't find out which one you were awarded until you were awarded. And I scrolled down through the email, sailing off the coast of Maine. Wow, I've never been sailing before. This sounds amazing. Uh-oh, I'm not a good swimmer. <laughs> like what? But the joy and excitement. I flew into Maine, and, and I met up at the airport with, um, there were eight of us total, uh, so seven other veterans. Some of them were in the Army like me. Others were in the Navy or the Air Force or the Marine Corps, and they got us on a boat, a bus, 
and we made our way to base camp near Acadia National Park. And we learned that we would learn how to sail for 14 days with the help of two guides, two instructors that worked for Outward Bound. These guides and instructors were trained in in how to have healing conversations with post-traumatic stress disorder. The program was set up that over the first few days of the trip, we, the veterans, would just be learning how to sail, learning the ropes. But by the end of the second week, we would be doing all of the work. The guides would simply be there as a resource, but we would have to learn how to navigate. We had a map. We had to learn all of this, excuse me, water navigation. The whole point of it being, let's get veterans together and let's recreate stressful environments where they have to learn and grow, but they're safe. So let's let them bring out the best of their military training. And then there'll be all these object lessons that come up during the trip. And at night, underneath the stars, they, we would process together. And our mentors and guides would ask us questions about our deployments It was to be a healing experience. Those first few days on the boat were exciting. We were all overwhelmed. We were learning new things and starboard and all these weird terms that I knew nothing about. And uh, we kept looking at the guy who was in the Navy like, don't you know how to sail? Don't, Don't they teach you this? He's like, no, maybe the Navy of like 1840, but not now. It was a great time. It was somewhere into the second week when we were in charge now, you know, a whole week of training and a can-do attitude, and we were navigating off the coast, when I saw in the eyes of one of our guides this look of terror and fear, because behind us, he saw these dark clouds rolling in, you know what's coming, dribble, dribble, dop, dribble, dribble, dop. And then all of the sudden, the sky just opened up and started gushing on us. Just gushing on us. So much water. We couldn't tell if it was coming from heaven or up from the ocean. It was coming over the boat. It was overwhelming. And the guides now are getting back in charge. And they're yelling at us to take down the mast. Take down the... We're getting tossed to and fro. And the guide's opening up these compartments. And he's grabbing oars. You know, old-fashioned oars. And he's handing them to each of us and getting us in line. So there's four on each side. And he's saying, we need to row over to that little rocky island. And we need to drop anchor will be safer there and so we grab an oar and we're trying to get in sync and we're rowing and we're rowing and we're rowing and we're not making much progress and in the middle of all of this with lightning and thunder it's just this crazy situation I start praying God I survived Iraq do not let me pass here off the coast of Maine sailing And we're still rowing and rowing and it got darker and louder and more chaotic. And I think at one point I just was so focused on my prayer that I stopped rowing. Others are trying to row and now I'm messing the whole ship up. We can't go anywhere because I'm not doing my part. And I'm sitting like this. And the guide who's at the front of the sailboat looks back and he says, Lorne, 
what are you doing? I said, I'm praying. He said, pray with your arms. Pray with your arms. Pray with your arms. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. So I start praying with my arms and we, wouldn't you know it, we finally make it over to that little rocky uh, island and we drop the anchor and then with, within a matter of minutes, like that scene in Forrest Gump, the rain just shuts off. Do you remember that scene? And the sky's clear and we all look at one another and we just start laughing. <laughs> we survived the storm together. Something amazing happened. The rest of that trip the eight of us, we were like family. We worked better together. We were bonded through this time of shared suffering and chaos and confusion. And later that night, as we dropped anchor and we brought all the stuff down, and because um, we, sl we slept on the sailboat for 14 days. We didn't leave the sailboat. And we're there underneath all of these beautiful stars, the guide said, Lauren, do you want to process that moment? Was that a fight or flight moment for you? Yeah. Did you have any of those in your deployment? And then one by one, veterans started offering and sharing moments of vulnerability in their life about their deployments. You see, the storm opened up a channel for us to be vulnerable, to share and to find deeper connection. Mission accomplished, Sierra Club. <laughs> Thank you. What a gift. So there they are, in the boat. And for hours, those disciples are probably cursing the name of Jesus. Certainly wondering, where are you, Lord? Like, what? You, sent, you told us to get on this boat. You claim to be the God of creation. Did you know the winds were coming? Did you know the waves would crash over us? While he's off praying, distant and far away, here we are struggling all through the night. They're huddled together just trying to get through the storm and then like a ghost, Jesus comes walking to them on the water. One thing I find amazing about this the wind, we're told, was at the disciples, coming straight at the disciples. And Jesus, his voice saying, it is I, do not be afraid, it reaches the disciples because of the wind. The storm, the wind, carried God's message to the disciples. Isn't it interesting that when we go through storms, we go through trials, sometimes we actually hear the voice of God more clearly. Every one of us would rather turn against the wind and move with the wind, right? You're facing a hard decision to make, a trial, a hardship. Our natural tendency as people is to just move with the wind. I don't want to fight the wind. I don't want to fight the waves. But I can tell you it's the wind and the waves that carry God's message to us. And then Peter, 
if it's you, Lord. I love that. Peter had seen Jesus multiply loaves and fish. He had seen miracles, healings. It's the voice of Jesus, clearly. It's the message of Jesus, which he's always said, do not be afraid. (laughs) But Peter still doubts a little bit. I take great comfort in that. If it's you, then tell me to come to you. And with one word, Jesus says, come. What's fascinating about this? In the midst of the storm, Jesus does not give details. He just offers direction. Come. When we go through storms, we want details about how to get through it. We want a playbook. How do I get through navigating a journey where my mother, my father is nearing the end of their life? How do I navigate it? What should I do? What decisions should I make? There's no playbook. We don't often have details. When we go through storms or trials, we want a plan. But what God does offer is direction. Just come. Just move toward me. Move towards the word. Move toward the promises of God. And so without details, but with simple direction, Peter gets out of the boat and he starts moving toward Jesus. And then the most expected thing happens. Peter starts feeling the force of the wind against him and he becomes overwhelmed by the wind and the waves and naturally he begins to be engulfed by all of that. You see, Peter got out of the boat because he was praying with his arms. He was praying with his legs. He was moving toward Jesus. But the gospel message here is not that Peter's legs or arms saved him. What saved Peter was a word. Lord, help me. And immediately, Jesus grabbed him. You see, we do need to pray with our arms and our legs. We need to put our faith into action. We need to move through the storm. But it's not our legs or our arms that will save us. It is a word. It's a word. And I love this part. It says Jesus immediately grabbed him. What does that indicate? Jesus was not far away from Peter. Jesus was right next to Peter the whole time on the waters. And he immediately grabbed him. How do you interpret what Jesus says? Oh, you of little faith. Why did you doubt? Or do you hear it like this? Oh, you of little faith. Why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? A number of years ago, my niece, Alexis, my sister's oldest, wanted to see a college campus. And being an alum of the Ohio State University, I won't go too thick with that, um, my sister called and said, Lauren, 
would you take Alexis to just go see a college campus? She was maybe seven or eight years old. Uh, I said, of course. My sister never went to college. My, I was the first in my family to ever go to college. And I didn't have a lot of time with my niece growing up because of the military and my own life unfolding. And so this was an opportunity to spend one-on-one time with my, my little precious niece. So I picked her up on a Saturday and we drove down to Ohio State. And if you're familiar with the campus, High Street is the main road that runs right through the heart of campus. It's busy. It's chaotic. There's all sorts of activity, cars zooming by, things happening. And, um, and we're there on the corner of 13th and High, and we need to cross the street to go over to the Oval and see all the cool buildings. And I told her, I said, Alexis, I need you to hold my hand. And I, you can't let go. Don't let go. It's a busy intersection. You promise you won't let go? I won't let go, Uncle Lauren. So she grabs my hand, the light changes, we make our way across High Street, we get to the other side, she looks up at me and she says, Uncle Lorne, I didn't let go. As if I were ever going to let go of her. Sometimes in our lives we put all this pressure on ourselves to just hold on to God, to hold on to our faith, to cling to it. But if you hear anything today, what I hope you hear is that like an uncle who loves his niece, God loves you far more. And when you feel like you're sinking, when you feel like the waves and the wind are at your face and at your back and tossing you to and fro, you can take it to the bank that God will never let go of you. This is the good news of our faith. Pray with your arms, pray with your feet, but never lose sight that it's a word that saves us. May you cling to the crucified and risen Lord. May you know that God loves you, and I do too. Amen.